music. Hey, what's up, Mati? Thank you. When we met by uh, our friend's house for a Shabbos meal, yeah. and you said ch- chauffeur, and my marmoset went inside like curious. I was like, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. I didn't have a podcast to invite you to. So it'd be like, you want to go for drinks? I thought, I'm like, nah. And then when podcast came around, I'm like, I want to start a podcast so I can talk to Isaac. You were oh. so intriguing. I was so curious to hear more. What know? did I say that was intriguing for you? For starters, that you didn't. Like a lot of people that I meet that are into wellness, they they talk a lot about it and you didn't. You were like, oh, I know Chauffeur. I remember like, I'm, oh, okay. you know, so that was interesting to me. Um, yeah. And then we've, you know, we've spoken since, so. I think there's a conversation for me that's valuable to have and to put it on the camera might be valuable for others too. I'm going to start off with a disclaimer okay. that anything that I say is I'm representing my own thoughts. I don't represent any recovery methods, programs, and I pray that whatever I do say, God helps me say my truth and the truth, and I guess God speaks through me. Maybe mm. that's an opportunity here. It's a good it's a good disclaimer overall with podcasting because now everyone has a stage. And then to sometimes, sometimes it, uh, not sometimes, always is good to take any information, even professional information, and make it work personally, specifically if it's not, if it's just people having a conversation. Right? I'll talk about uh, things that worked for me. You'll say things or other people will say things. And then if for someone else it does damage and they're like, okay, that guy said, and now I need to hurt myself doing something that doesn't work so interesting thing is that one of the things that i remember that was to me very fascinating when i got into 12-step recovery rooms was that we do not talk to the media nobody represents us to the media there was that idea that part of the anonymity of the 12-step program no one can publicly represent the, the 12-step, 12-step program, program right? which means it's all human to human connecting. Well, the, well, the purpose of that is like why this technically, in theory, let's say I am saying that I am a member of a specific A program. And then now I go and I share my opinion. Somebody might hear that and say, well, this guy represents AA or NA or CA or SA. Mm. And he's talking on, he's representing them. And if I say something that's not in line or accurate, whatever it is, or something that's like typical, not typical, but something that's discussed or like. Like a primary value. Like if. uh, No, I just, I I can't personally represent. Right, right, right. No one person represents a single entity in program. That's Of, Of really anything. That's the thing. Because everyone has their own respective experiences around life and around growth and around pain and around everything. So, right. So it's good to not like to know that, to have that boundary. Right. Which is why I'm saying like yeah. whatever I'm saying, I'm owning it. It's me. It's yeah, not very cool. influenced by or it's not suggested by. All right. Very cool. And just it was fascinating to me because I remember when I was getting into program, when I was starting the road of sobriety recovery. There was that mindset, like, I got to share this, like, and then there was like, you can't share it. And I was thinking to myself, what do you mean you can't share it? Like, how are you going to share your own? It's not about sharing your own. It's about sharing message. Obviously, there's the very core important part of anonymity is that you don't share other people who are Mm. in the rooms, other people's stories in the rooms. And to me, it was like, not like when I had that moment and I realized 
that there was other people like myself that had similar struggles as myself. And I knew so many people at the time that probably share similar struggles and only realized that they probably shared similar struggles because of sitting in those rooms. I was like, how can I not share these things with people to help people become aware of right. what's going on for me, what might be going on for them. Right. So it was fascinating to me to be like, we don't, nobody represents us. Nobody's allowed, like, you know, like I remember right. thinking to myself, like, and I remember that anonymous thing being super sacred. Like, right. you can't go home and tell Which someone is the I saw. Right. The, that's the that's anonymous. The yeah. It wasn't like, oh, you, you, you wouldn't believe he was at the meeting. There's no one who I could share that with. Right. You know, like, let's say there was yeah. a somebody that was from some prestige position in a yeah. certain circle. It would circle. be really cool to go home and share it, not as gossip, just as inviting and helping people understand there's nothing wrong with them. But inspiring, right. too. For me, I think yeah. one of the most inspiring things was there was a Orthodox Hasidic Jew in one of the rooms that I sat down in. And it was a Shabbos meeting in a church. Where is a better place to spend Shabbos than in a church <laughs> in Manhattan? There was an Orthodox from Jew at that meeting. And it was just like, I didn't consider myself very observant then. I wasn't actually as observant as I am today, to whatever degree. Of, I mean, I consider myself observant. But there was a certain, almost like a, it almost made the whole meeting so wholesome for me the whole experience of being in a room with people recovering from addiction i said addiction like that because we're gonna get to that word i'll explain explain my feelings on that yeah it made it so whole and i remember at that this specific meeting that i was in there were several several jews and i had thought to myself you know sitting there in that meeting there was a huge I would probably say I would assume that maybe the majority of people in that room were Jewish. I mean, I know that there weren't many observant people in the room. Maybe there was one other observant person in this room. But I remember thinking to myself, like, Shabbos came out. The meeting was ending. And I was thinking to myself, wow, we can make Abdullah now. <laughs> like, we should do, like, a Karlbach-style Abdullah. That right. would be amazing. Like, in my mind, I was thinking, like, how can we end off this meeting with, yeah. like, that? Ah, it like, sounds nostalgic. It was. Yeah. It was very, I mean, church okay. has been a great place for me. <laughs> <laughs> Take me As to church. As a Jew who likes to go to shul on a regular Shabbos today, it's just like funny, like, I miss being in church. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So so your primary, like, modality and, and work is around 12-step? So no. I don't know how to, I want to say this with, like, integrity, because I don't want to say I don't identify as an addict, I haven't been, unfortunately, in a meeting for a while. I haven't been in a meeting for since, like, before COVID. Mm. COVID came. I was on a couple of online meetings, and I sort of slipped away. But I think what I started discovering about meetings or about the whole model of the A programs, and I was in, I still consider myself a member. Mm. Because I think that it's very important for me to recognize. I'll sometimes share with someone like I'm an NA or CA or AA. Right, which or I've SA. heard you mention, right? which is my first 
point of curiosity like what's so, your opinion on the program what is it good when is it not good like what else you know works with that you know that's the that's where my curiosity is around all that so for me was the opportunity to get into mm. program like there was this moment in my life where I was obsessing over a specific thing and when i had shared it with a friend of mine they had said to me they were like you know i recognize what that is and i get help for that you should try a meeting and that was my first time that i had really considered the idea and i knew that from my experience i've actually i took I took the test. There's like these tests, like there's like these 40 questions. Mm. Like you ask yourself these questions. And if you check some of the boxes or most of the boxes or all of the boxes. Oh, it's, it, the 12 step offers that? Or it's just the different, third party? Different, oh. uh, no, within the 12 step programs, oh, there are different, um, there are different like, if someone's looking into it, there's like a little question that they can ask themselves mm. to see if they're a worthy candidate of sitting in those rooms and joining the incredible circle. I remember once actually sitting in my, I had a therapist in Brooklyn. He was an LCSW. And I was sitting in his office and he went over the essay. Um, tw- I don't remember how many questions it was, but I somehow managed to not be an addict based mm. on these questions. I did this test a few times And what's fascinating is, to me, what was unique and special about being in the rooms was there was me being able to live that second life that I lived with other people who lived that second life. So in those rooms, I'm normal. Right. But to my therapist, who's not in that room with me or who never was in those rooms with me before I got into those rooms that double life of mine that knew how to dodge any questions or show up in the world and seem normal and regular, which there is no such thing. But in my mind, I was living a double life. So I wasn't like every regular person who doesn't struggle. Right. And um, like it feels very unique and isolated. Struggle, specifically struggle that involves addiction, but any struggle until it's shared. What weighed down on me for so many years and what I try to escape from, which is what the addiction is. It's escaping from the, the things that I had experienced. So the more that weighed me down, the more I had to find. Which is pain, like the more pain or past pain. Past trauma. That, that's like weighing on you, the more I need to find a way to cope. And doing things that just up my dopamine and feel well, better. And, and the reality is that once we start, once I started using whatever methods of escape, addiction, escape, actually made that, that release that dopamine into my body, there wasn't actually enough. So I needed more of it. Mm. And I think the, so a, my personal understanding and my experience of what addiction means is 
using something to escape from my reality. My reality could have been something that was not that big of a deal, but because it triggered past traumatic experiences in my life, I was reliving those traumatic experiences. Those wounds were being uncovered and therefore I needed to escape from that experience. Why I think for me, there was like this shift in, I don't necessarily identify so much as an addict because there's, there's a part of me that feels that a lot of people that I have seen in the 12 step rooms, there's a saying, once an addict, always an addict. Right. And that, that sentence bothers me. It hurts me. Like it hurts me for the person. It hurts because I I've quit I fully quit addiction for many many years certain addictions okay you know certain and then the part of me that my supplement which I mentioned before we started recording is healthy addictions some like right. some good addictions like so yeah I'm always an addict but not with the you know I do good things with so with my drive with my need to fulfill my voids right right I, I feel, feel pain and now I've learned options. So when I hear the sentence like I'm an addict and I'm always an addict that I understand the validation in it, but there's something about it that hurts me specifically from a Hasidic mindset or a Kabbalistic mindset where everyone is, is just whole, you know, they're like well-being is inherent with us. It's like not something that it's always there. So that's my, my question to you is like, is it not for everyone? Like, is, is it sometimes damaging to sit and, and believe that I'm, you know. I'm an addict and I'm always an addict and yeah. that whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you why it's damaging because I feel that to me, this is obviously my personal, I mean, maybe people will disagree with me and that's fine. I'm absolutely fine with people who are years in recovery, who have been going for years, calling themselves an addict, want to disagree with me. I look at, you know, I, I work with other addicts and I work with people going through like people who aren't necessarily doing the 12 step program, but were once like myself in a 12 step program. I work with different people in different aspects of addiction, life coaching. I mean, I'm not, I don't do it. I don't practice it. Like I should probably this idea of once an addict, always an addict. That means I can always fall back on being an addict. As long as I can identify as being an addict, I can almost have an excuse for why I'm not allowing myself to heal. And what I like to now for myself, what I've discovered from being within the walls of the 12 step program for years. For how many many, years? So I had a relapse like three years and 10 months ago. But Mm. before that, I was sober from drugs, alcohol for about three years. Mm. And that whole period was with meetings? With the support of meetings? With the support of meetings, mm-hmm. yeah. There's um, this idea of falling back on the addiction and almost what I feel was lacking, and I feel like this is lacking in a lot of these self-help workshops and these weekends that I've been on and the different programs like I right. mentioned one earlier on. But what I think happens is once I start recognizing that there's a wound... And now I could identify as now I've been damaged. Mm-hmm. And I could always fall back on that excuse I've been damaged. And I feel like once an addict, always an addict means that 
almost like I'm allowing myself to be a victim of whatever trauma I escaped from. And it's almost, I don't want to say that this is not necessarily other people's feelings. This is my view. But what I've seen or what I think people have done is they've allowed themselves to live within that cycle of victim mentality. So instead of actually properly healing and working for me myself, instead of me allowing myself to really start working on. Yeah. And growing beyond going beyond what else is there outside of this framework my brain created? Like what else can I become? The challenge with only focusing on the addiction Mm -hmm. is it's not focusing on what got me to the addiction. Oh, interesting. That is why I've taken a step back from really being in that meeting environment. I see. So the focus of the 12 steps is the like part of the steps is the addiction and who I've hurt and how I'm hurting myself. And so that's step four, making a fearless and moral inventory. For me, you asked me, I think one of the things you you think was a really important step. Step four is huge. And because what happens is when I'm making a fearless and moral inventory, first of all, the fear and the anxiety of who might see that. And then the fear and the anxiety of who I'm going to share that with. Like, I remember writing the steps and being afraid, like, how am I going to even share an eighth? Like, all that shame Mm. came back up. But then I started really thinking about, like, what was the direct correlation that was happening at that time? Right. When I did what I did, what was going on in my life? And I think that when I sat down, ironically, an essay, and I started doing my fourth step in essay, there was so much shame around it that I really had to become, I was very blessed. I had an incredible sponsor in essay. I had one of my, one of my sponsors throughout the 12-step programs was a guy who was also an AA and essay. And I liked that because I'm in... I was in that fellowship too. I think my, not I think my first, my first addiction, my first experience of escape was with alcohol. I was six mm-hmm. years old and I had been in the sukkah at shul and all the men had their little whiskey cups left on the table. And I went and I downed every single last drop and I must have probably found about 50 little wow. sh- shot glasses with a little bit left. And... I still remember that feeling when I went home with my stepfather and my mother and ex-stepfather. But I just saw exhale on that sign. So I was like, (laughs) ex-stepfather. It was nicht mein Tatein. But, um, and that feeling of freedom. I grew up, it was, first of all, growing up, didn't have a father, was born without a father. Mm. My mother married this guy who was an exceptionally physically, emotionally, verbally abusive person. And from? So uh, Balchuva from. Mm. Not that it's not that it's relevant. I mean, we could be very healthy and from, and we could be very unhealthy yeah, yeah. and from. Just painting a picture. Yeah, yeah. So growing up yeah. with a Balchuva Israeli stepfather who was extremely abusive and it was terrifying Mm. to say the least and that feeling was a little boy 
that feeling of I, I almost blacked out like that wow. and waking up the next day and it almost felt like I don't want to say it almost felt like because I can go into that feeling right now it was freaking amazing right every possible fear every possible pain it just it wasn't there right and that was the beginning of alcohol addiction i never realized it and as i did a bunch of cross addictions so my addictions cross paths mm -hmm. regularly like a, it could be porn sex uh well, sex, sex addiction, I mean, the definition of sex addiction is even sex with self is considered sex addiction. Right. So if somebody decides that they need to relieve themselves, that's it. They just lost their sobriety as far as sexual right. addiction goes. It's about it's about the, the numbing or the escape. The escape, yeah. Right. So I I think the the reality is with 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 sexual addiction, the ability to escape is the easiest one because it doesn't really require anything it's right. just it's also probably the most shameful addiction because as it is that experience is so like just needing to escape and having to go to the bathroom let's say when someone's with a group of friends and needing to escape and using that method of escape and that creates that feeling of like that that release that dopamine release that happens that allowed me in certain times to just feel like oh, i can get back and be normal like everybody right. else yes i was using whatever addictions can fill the void and i think what i had to start looking very closely at was why am i so focused on getting sober why am i not focused on healing that broken little boy that went through so much in his life, you know, from sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, you know, why have I never dealt with that? Why am I just dealing with trying to curb my addiction? Because it's so shameful, right? Like it's a big focus on the shame. So I need to curb my addiction and not be an addict. So I'm not shamed. Well, no. So, but more than but that, from, what's really, underneath it is not the addiction and not the shame of the addiction it's that that pain that internal pain that internal void that internal judgment yeah so walking around from walking around from the message that i'm not lovable nobody i'm not wanted i'm not being seen i'm not being heard you know before i started getting into recovery going to a workshop that taught me that idea of I am enough or I am lovable when I started going into the rooms 12-step recovery rooms that wasn't the message the mm. message was that well the beautiful thing about being so one one thing that I'm going to say I think is very important because I think the most important thing is for people who are considering going into a 12-step meeting or getting themselves into a 12-step meeting for whatever addiction. The biggest thing about it is there is a community of people that are supporting each other 
that are struggling with addiction. They're not struggling with the need for escaping and working on healing their inner child. Mm. But if somebody is looking to be able to feel normal and to be in a place that accepts them and embraces embraces them, that they don't need to walk around and have a way that they could identify with somebody else and not believe that they're the only person that's retarded and doing things that are absolutely horrendous, go to a meeting, be with those people. But to me, it's the, 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 the real, it's almost like both are very needed. Both are very needed at certain points. Like it's needed to, to not carry that closeness in, 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 in my addiction. Right. So I don't like I can't even work on healing because I'm so busy masking and covering and, you know, my current my current shame. So and then separately to heal and grow, like to heal and allow the body to feel whole again. Right. Which so. I, I never I never understood that. I went to a couple of meetings. I, I mentioned to you, you say eh, doesn't count. I told you I went to um, codependent and yeah, the other one. I went to two different meetings and. I just didn't feel understood in the depths of what I wanted. What I was seeking was was something deeper. I went, I think, three, four times in, in the city. You went to a CODA meeting? Yeah, a couple of CODA meetings. Okay. And uh, I just didn't I, I didn't, I didn't connect with the people. I felt like they're very different than I am. And What were also you? Also, people, at the third time when I didn't go back, it was a whole fight. Like, someone said something and someone said, don't say it. You do say it. Calm down. Don't calm down. Like, I'm like, whatever. So, I didn't go back. And But then I know Rabbi Tversky, Rabbi Abram Tversky, who, is, who has always been to meetings. And he's always spoken about it. And he's, uh, his addiction, he said, is chocolate. But he went to, to AA because he wanted to embrace the all these other aspects that meetings offer, right? The, the connection, the normalcy, the just seeing humans as humans and not judging them by a, by a specific coping mechanism. There's so much more to a person. But what you're saying is, and tell me if I understood you correctly, that unrelated to normalizing and feeling okay in my own skin and not needing to like hide my, my shtick of survival, there's a whole other genre which is heal and actually feel whole again. Yeah, because I very much strongly believe that that's not addressed. Mm. There is now, there are people who address it. There are members of different fellowships that do address healing. And there are open circles. There are weekends where people talk about recovering and getting help and getting therapy. But to me, the most important thing was to be able to say, hey, little boy, Itzik, little boy, Itzik, you know, today I identify as Isaac because my second personality allowed me to be Isaac part of my double life was actually it's interesting I was thinking to myself recently like do I want to start going by Itzik again or do I want to go by do I, I don't mind staying well, it's very Isaac. common now to go by whatever feels best <laughs> yeah I know so the question is as I'm journeying into myself I'm starting to try and work out why I went by Isaac uh-huh. what about it was it was it did it was I running away from Itzik? Mm. And that's really like something that I've been like exploring recently because as much as I want to be called Isaac, 
today it doesn't bother me as much, but I introduced myself to so many people as Isaac that I feel like there's almost a part of me that, that wasn't authentic when I introduced myself as Isaac. I mean, legally, it's not my name. Mm. And, and like, there's like that underlying question, like, why did I run away from Itzik? Right. And today, as I learned to embrace Itzik more, and today when I see who Itzik is for who he, who he truly is, it's like, I want to, I don't want to just embrace Itzik. I want to hold his name. Right. So like, there's a part of me that ran away from, I was so busy running away from all the trauma that little Itzik had to experience that I want to like re-embrace the name again. I almost want to like re-own it. Right. Is Itzik, yeah. Yeah. Itzik a success in your relationship with him? Ask the question again, because I'm trying to hear it. Yeah, is Itzik a success? Uh, uh, or, like, is he doing well? Can he do well? So it's interesting, because Itzik never knew what doing well looked like. Mm. The circumstances that little Itzik was born into, that I was born into, and the whatever followed from there, they weren't a recipe for success. Right. For any child that went through any of that trauma i don't see how like it's a miracle there's like many miracles that happened to me in my life that i'm sitting here right now being able to talk about that child Mm -hmm. or that me and um yeah that little itzik never knew success Mm. he never even and i think the biggest part of it was if there was success it was never acknowledged properly there was a principal that was exceptionally special that took me under her wing when I was in South Africa in primary school. Mrs. Porter, God bless her. If she's still alive, may she live a healthy life. Um, but um, she used to give me a certificate called the Mensch of the Week certificate. Mm-hmm. And like, she was the only person that really recognized what was going on in my life. I don't think she understood the extent of it. Mm-hmm. And she somehow found a way to bolster me up that she would, she, she taught me about appropriate and inappropriate behavior and appropriate behavior was an appropriate response. Not today. When I say to my son, Joe, you're being inappropriate, like put your underwear back on, dude, you're middle Mm -hmm. of the dining room. (laughs) It was more like, Hey, what's inappropriate is responding to a situation without yelling or without being angry. So she tried to help me identify the idea of like knowing the right way to respond. So she used to take me out on Sundays. She was exceptionally special. And I would come home with this Mensch of the Week certificate and my stepfather would say, how much did you pay for that? A lot of like that toxic or did you really earn it or did you steal it? And things like that he used to say. So there wasn't even an opportunity when I was being somewhat rewarded for right, to growing actually, to actually believe in to in, really for it to see yeah so it's interesting when you say is that little it's like he never was i mean when i look at the child it's like there wasn't really a successful path paved for him can i succeed as it's like today can i somehow heal that child no 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 Something I still have to sit with. I think what I love about recovering, healing, is that I know that it's an ongoing process. So once an addict, always an addict, the truth in that statement is 
once wounded, I will always be able to, I will, that, that will always be who I am, wounded. Right. But to live as that wounded little Itzek, I don't have to do that. I don't right. always have to identify as wounded Itzek. I would like to identify as healed Itzek. Right. I'd like to identify yes. as... And that's why that idea of once an addict, always an addict doesn't sit well with me. Right. Because what what was the progress, what what led to the addiction? What can I do today to heal whatever led to that addiction? Right. So when I look at addiction as a whole, I don't look at it as addiction. I look at it as escape. Mm-hmm. And I think about it, I think about like, what did that person endure in their life? What did they experience that they needed to run away from it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at the word, even escape, I also look at as, as a support. Like my, my first step of being able to quit a pattern that's not helping and it just helps me survive is to acknowledge that I, that it's actually helping me survive. My first step and, and. And what I found to really, really be working for me is to acknowledge w- w- its worth. Like it's really helping me with a struggle or anxiety. Like it's really helping me relax my body. Which is to say that maybe I want to find another way to do that. Which is I'm really acknowledging that I need help in figuring out how to, how to be supported, how to be guided, how to find a better way of doing what I'm doing. And from this mindset, the addiction isn't the issue. Like even the escape is, in a sense, not an escape. It's a survival. It's just an instinct of survival. For me, I mean, there's so many different addictions and so many different depths of like how far away. That like I never like blissed myself. I did. I used to like when I was younger, I'd drink a lot and black out all the time. But that wasn't the purpose. I didn't wait to black out. It was oops, I drank too much. Mm-hmm. But um, like the way I've used and use addiction, food and whatever. I find to like, it's like I'm anxious and I just want to calm myself down. It's a numbing agent. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like, like, like it's like a, a useful way to function. And when I look at it that way, I'm like, okay, what can I do that'll work better? Because <laughs> there's so many, it's like a bad drug that has horrible side effects and there are better ones and specific drugs that'll foster um, how good I am rather what a loser I am that I'm using this. You know? Right. So to me though, for me, at this stage in my recovery, it's almost like I feel the need to escape instead of just saying, what can I do to replace this need to go and, well, thank God I haven't had the need to, like, I haven't thought of bumping a line. And uh, recently I thought about, like, yeah, my business is, like, at a place where I can use God's help in every way possible. So to me, it's like, you know, if I could get back to using and have that same aggressive nature, can I be successful, financially successful like I was? Right. Because once I lost that drive, uh, not once I lost it, once I gave up the escape mechanism, right, it, which also gave me a drive to be financially savvy and get what I wanted from people. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so to me, for me today, it's almost, even in rage, my response, right? When I respond, if my wife will say something that will tip me over the edge, today my edge is a very different edge. But even today, if she'll say something that will frustrate me and that I'll want to get upset, it's really about getting in touch with 
I don't even, I try not to focus on anymore. Like, what can I replace this anger mm. with? I really try and say to myself, what, which, which, which chord did she just, right? What, what, which yeah. trip wire? Where, where am I unaligned? Where's the unalignment? What yeah. did she touch? Which nerve? Right. Because so I learned a lot, like in program, I learned about the red flags and why I learned about in the where? in program in the uh -huh. 12 step program. I learned about red flags, recognizing the need to act out, mm. the need to use. So then when I'm in that city, when I all of a sudden feel like I'm feeling that need to use or to act out, then I reach out to my sponsor, to one of my sponsees. And today it's more about identifying like what chord was struck. Mm. which tripwire what have i been protecting for so long that i need to open up and explore right which trauma did that bring up for me right so for me today it's not all it's almost like i don't even focus so much on what can i do now that i'm feeling angry it's, it's like what is it pushing against and then looking at it, it and what embracing is it, what and is it bringing up healing. for me yeah yeah which which is which is the, which is like for me eye on the prize is always like how much more can i hold right like put it like I, life puts things in my hands and how much more can i hold safely and just have a calm nervous system nervous system rather than a, like a tense and so also so but it's something i need i need to own this because it's important to own this i'm far from refined so i will get upset and sometimes i just need to allow i think it's something actually very interesting you know when we think about not allowing i always i'm very passionate i am a very heated person especially with the people that i'm most intimate with so my wife for example she could say something and i'll respond in a way that i would never respond to someone else i'll be angry at my wife and i'll respond in an angry way and then i'll go to whoa what was that anger so and instead of being ashamed of it i started recognizing and making space for like what actually came up for me right like what did that experience trigger for me what was i protecting and i've learned to really distinguish like and i've done this with people like let's get in touch with what that feeling right. is yeah and for me that anger is fear mm. Yeah. My anger is always fear. I was that little boy who was being abused and beaten and I could never protect myself. So today I could protect myself physically, verbally, not emotionally yet, working on it, but I don't need to protect myself. And then I started like really making space like what did she trigger or what did that guy that or that lady that today when I was on my way here, somebody like did like this with her hands like. It wasn't even me blocking the street. Somebody was like doing a K turn and actually reverse parking, and they like honked at me and like were upset at me for being on the street in my car. And I was like, dude, we share the road, relax. But it also, like, for the first second, like, my response was like, I have to protect myself. Right. And then I was like, so no, there's I'm a chord that's triggering. I'm, I'm, it's so familiar. I'm so resonating. Yeah. And it's and it's old stuff. Yeah, I had some real breakthroughs this workshop that I did the other day. 
Yeah. And so, like meditating. Be honest, I wish I was there with you. I think I think I'm, I'm almost ready for you. I I needed to like <laughs> now feel intimidated and feel very safe, which is probably why you weren't there yet. But I'm like I think you're gonna pretty soon we're gonna sit there together. And okay. I was sitting there That's and just meditating. Uh, it, it's it's what meditating is such a big word. Point is that at one point sitting there and just the practice is to just sit with myself and not escape myself and whatever mm-hmm. feelings come up are fine. And I had like I let go of of like res- like d- daddy stuff that I didn't even know I had. I'm I'm good. My my father is awesome. And I have a good relationship with him, but I'm triggered by a lot of different things on a day to day, right? Like a car, it is like for that five seconds until I like, <sighs> not worth it. Or the other day, you know, our doctor, our pediatric offices, we asked for something from the doctor for, for our five-year-old and they said no. And I know they can say yes. And then they say, sorry, we can't just say yes. And I thought to myself, you could say yes. I know you can say yes. I've pre- like I wasn't bo- I don't need to go to medical school to know that, sh- that the doctor can say yes. And my first response, I'm going to send them an email this long to make my case. And so I have these responses regularly, you know, to things and they're frustrating. And yeah, and, I, and then, then I, I wait and I sit with the feeling and then I notice that it's obviously not about them. And I could find a better solution to this problem than sending <laughs> a long email. But, but during, you know, sitting in, in, in meditation and noticing that I'm still like there's there's links to old stuff, which which are I thought I'm done with and I'm not. And I know that I'm not done because the doctor says whatever and I get all upset, at least for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I'm so far from healed. Yeah. Now I'll tell you something interesting just recently something happened with one of my children and I responded. It took me a long time. The first thing was I had to be a parent and be present for them, put them to sleep whilst they're crying. Somebody else did something to my child Mm -hmm. and the pain that I was feeling in the time I had to also like really stop. Like I had to be consciously aware of how the pain felt for me Mm -hmm. and had to really resonate and be there for my child and hold them and embrace them and make space for that pain and then afterwards when they went to sleep i sat down and i wrote for an hour and a half maybe i don't know how many words but i kept on editing and editing it what i wanted to say to the person that did what they did and i thought that my message was extremely like from my perspective from where how i would have responded (laughs) alpha (laughs) <laughs> but I thought the way I responded was like really like appropriate. Yeah. And that was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and it took so much restraint to not write the things that I wanted to write. And like, I was pretty harsh in that message, but I was definitely like tame. And that guard dog of mine was like telling me like, go protect yourself throughout the whole message. Like I had to constantly whilst writing the message, tame my my freaking pit bulls that were protecting me and like be like guys it's okay like in, and just still, to clarify in you the pit bulls in your the head pit bulls yeah, in me yeah my I little like protecting the, and they're they're let me like my guard dogs they've really like they're getting old so they're not <laughs> so they're as like, aggressive <laughs> but it's interesting though in certain cases, i'm visualizing this by the yeah, way you I, with two giant <clears throat> dude my my guard dogs and i've i've looked at them before i've sat down with them and i've looked at my guard dogs before one is a mastiff like you know the the they're like what are they called um 
they are oh i can't remember what the breed is called but my guard dogs are these massive well one is one is a pit bull and he looks he's like a blue nosed pit bull and he looks like a little ox <laughs> and the other one is a mastiff but it's huge these are my guard dogs and mm. they they lived with me for so long they've right. been protecting me for so long and now once i stopped using my escapes these guys are like they're dangerous right and now that i'm working so much on recovering and healing like there was so much like me protecting the other people from my guard dogs because i was pulling back on those choke leashes so much right. to tell them like chill 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 i got this like you're okay just sit down so in this specific instant there was like they're growling and i'm texting and they're literally growling next to me like ready to pounce and i'm like guys i can't we're not going on a full-blown war right now guys we're i'm writing a message that's it i'm doing right now (laughs) it's all that's happening there's no blood and but there was still that part of me yeah that was like what's going on for me right so that's that's the real healing work to identify it and then to start fostering like safety and love and nurture and support like that's a real right that's the other part of besides normalizing and not carrying shame of addiction is to actually identify those links and then to start like healing and and like healing in my when i say the word healing Mm. i'm envisioning a a tree that just grows like a natural program when i give when the tree gets sun water air dark a little bit of all it just grows on its own right and i think that what's interesting is and i'm I'm like thinking about this when you're seeing like this tree growing you know the tree should have started the growth process as a little boy Mm -hmm. and what happens is i actually just saw um what's his name dr mate gabor mate he's phenomenal there's something about that man that's just like i listened to him and I just listened this morning to two or three of his Instagram clips. And interestingly, it takes me back into the rooms, Mm. complete vulnerability. Like I can cry from hearing him talk about trauma. I can cry from hearing him because he's talking about me. And there's like that part of me that he gets that he's sharing and it's just so humbling to be able to be understood. So he was saying something very interesting. I can't say, I'm not quoting a word for word. So if I screw it up, whatever. But what he was saying was, what's the opposite? What's the, what's the opposite of pressing something down? It's called depressing, right? Mm-hmm. And what he was saying is that when a child is brought up, not being allowed to share their emotions, when it's too dangerous to say I'm afraid and I have to make myself believe that what's going on is normal and I don't have anyone to share that fear with later on down the line that pressing down comes up and it comes up as depression. Mm-hmm. So it pu- starts pushing. It starts. Yeah. Like it those starts, dogs. It starts. Wow. Yeah. And that's like, to me, it was a very interesting Like, it's okay for me to now start recognizing why I needed to escape. And it's okay for me to not feel ashamed 
of my behavior when I was escaping. I got to own it. I got to make my amends. Thank God I made so many amends in my life that the biggest fear of, by the way, making an amends is what happens if I go to somebody and I say, hey, I just want you to know that 15 years ago I was in your store and I ordered a breakfast and I decided that I deserved a free coffee. So I want to say I'm sorry for taking coffee and not paying for it. Here's a dollar and 13 cents or a dollar and 15 cents. And that fear of like, what will the person say to me? And we I mean, we learned and program like, you know, you got to make, I've got to make Does the program require to do this always absolute, always make amends to the person? Isn't so, it sometimes not so necessary? The lesson is we make amends where it's, if someone's going to make an amends and they're going to end up in prison, right? Sometimes it's encouraged. Some people should sit in prison. Like I've been in program with people that belong in prison. That's the reality. Right. And that's, that's okay because at that stage, if God is, if their journey with their relationship with God, if God wants them to be, if that's where they have to get to, to be able to, so to speak, turn themselves in. Right. Then that's part of their recovery. That's part of their healing journey. But what if what if it's not that? It's just creating a mess. You know, there, I know this. So there is. Wait, wait, wait. One mm. second. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's very important that I finish this. There are there are forms of making amends, of doing service. Sometimes making amends is how I show up in society. Mm-hmm. So there is community service that could be done to make up for certain amends. If I can't go, if there is no way to, let's just say I have to make an amends for somebody that I had hurt. And if I go and I tell them about what I did and they didn't know about it, that's really going to hurt that them. could hurt them. Right. Like I'm on my reco- I'm I'm recovering, but they are just going to start. And all of like- a sudden what happens if I start their trajectory of, of, you know, bringing up other traumas? Yeah. There is a fine line in between making a direct amends and writing down my amends and giving charity to giving charity becoming a support from the place of amends making yeah. amends there's an enormous amount of understanding to how needed it is for that very specific thing to not happen so to contribute for that happening to stop happening is is is, is making an amend there's a there's an organization they fight trafficking human trafficking and there was like a fund or something that my sponsor had once said that you know you could do like as i was doing my reading my wrongs and my you know i do my step four and then i went over so how do i make amends to this person can i go to that person to make amends do i go to that store will i get arrested what ways can i repay the people without them knowing what kind of things can i do that won't jeopardize my families so another thing about making amends are yeah, I might be ready to accept that God's God's will for me is to be in prison, but is God's will for my family to be fatherless? So thank God I didn't have to make any of those sort of amends by the grace of God, maybe, right. unless I really hid those ones so well deep inside me that they haven't come up. I wrote a book on fourth step history, like my, my fearless and moral inventory hmm. was a, a full notebook of stuff. But what that also did for me was I was actually able to be like, what was going on then? Why did I need to use 
the needs to escape? What was I doing during that time? What, you know, like it really opened up for me. That's why I feel like that step, that fearless and moral inventory, obviously step one's huge. Like Can recognizing. So step one is recognizing that I am powerless over whatever the addiction might be, right? The first step is we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol, lust, cocaine. So I love that because it's past tense. Yeah, because we've come to the stage where we came into... I didn't know that. I thought that the first step is I admit that I'm forever powerless. It's a huge difference. Like, hi, I'm an addict is very different. But it's not that I was an addict, though. I know, but in the first... The, fir- the first step really represents that I was powerless. Right, because now that I found this program, I recognize that I'm no longer... But what's the hop, right? Because if you go through the steps, right, we admitted that we were powerless, came to believe that power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, made a decision, third step, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And then step four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. The making amends is really step nine, which is making direct. So this is important because this is what you were saying. You were asking about making amends. Step nine, the words are, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Mm -hmm. So that's part of the step. It's not like in commas, it's part of the step right so wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others obviously part of recovery is being mindful and recognizing other people's feelings potentially getting hurt no it could be a very like making amends and just dropping a bomb i know guys that have done it to their spouses and that traumatize them there's a two-part conversation one is what you just said that it's not always valuable to go and drop a bomb of, 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 of information to one specific person that it's just going to hurt them. And, you know, it might not recover from that. If someone has a good sponsor, hopefully be an empathetic and right. mindful sponsor. Hopefully everyone in program, when they're in program, say the harava, say the chachava. Yeah, in any, in any journey of growth, it needs other people. There's no, not yeah. meant to do that I mean, this we, alone. We definitely need to um, be mindful in general, in life, I think even when I apologize to my child, right? If I'm apologizing to, let's just say I'm apologizing to Esther Bracha for something that she did, my daughter. There has to be that when I apologize, there isn't justification. There isn't explaining right. why I did what I did. Right, because I, I, otherwise I'm just dumping on her. That's not the purpose. Well, it's almost like shifting the yeah, yeah, guilt. Yeah, yeah. It's guilt yeah. shifting. That's yeah. not what amends is. Right. Because now I got to make an amends that I just guilt shifted. Yeah. And I just so, keep fueling the same cycle yeah, just now. On the and it's also right. not owning it. Right. That's the biggest. So shifting guilt. Owning means like being able to endure the, the pain that I've caused or created or been through. All of it. When I say owning, I'm not referring to endure because I've already owned it. If I'm genuinely ready to make an amends. That's nine, right? That's if I'm ready. When I'm ready to make an amends, it's because I've owned it. Right. I've already said, wow, I caused someone a significant amount of pain and I'm going to go and apologize. And when I make that apology, there's, there's, I think the biggest fear and the biggest shame around making an amends, it, it almost like from my experience was the fear of what that person might think of me when I make that amends. 
because here I've been working so hard on my recovery and getting sober and working on my healing. And all of a sudden me now possibly losing a friend that may not know that I wronged them. Right. You know, that was one of my hardest amends were to friends because we were still friends and now I'm on this healing recovery journey and now I'm like making this fearless moral inventory. I recognize where I did wrong to a friend. I've got to go and tell my friend what I did. Right. And apologize. And that's like, that is, so that's, that's a lot. There's a lot of, so ownership comes healing and ownership go hand in hand. Like when I take ownership over what I did wrong, there's also that part of me that recognizes that I was helpless. I was powerless. Right. So I'm taking ownership over, over pain as a whole. My part in it is, is part of the pain. It's like this, this pot of pain, which also creates things that I've done wrong by not knowing how to do better at the time. So not in an excuse way, but just in a realistic way. It's like I actually didn't know better. Right, well, like, it has about, to have compassion in it. That's the point. Right, about when, you, when, you, when you spoke before about like that tree, that growing tree. Yeah. So just imagine that that plant was that you were just referring to that little pot was a little planter mm-hmm. that was being infused mm-hmm. with toxins right and the fruits so that appeared grow were from- toxic fruits yes. when i think about my child like when you're talking about like that healing it's really more about what can i actually do to the soil that's being contaminated yeah. how can i rehabilitate that tree mm. so when you ask me like if that little it's a sees himself as successful it's like how much work do i have to do to heal the soil the foundation that Mm -hmm. i was brought up in right this tree that sits here before myself and you was planted in a certain type of soil how much work is going to go into actually right fixing that soil without without destroying the whole tree because you know that's really can i rehabilitate that and there's no question about it of course i can so on the second the second side to this the question like of ownership is like okay if what 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 can you share to but let's in the in the conversation it's wives but really it's anyone that has a friend that they find out that they've been hooked on different escapes or or addictions or double lives and they're really really specifically when they're finding out while the person is trying to to heal and change that but they're like shocked or like and if, um, specifically around porn addiction. And what is it that a wife should know? Is she, like asking, guys are, is she yeah. asking or are you telling? She knows and she asking yeah. you what were you thinking? What's she asking? Can, uh, can you can you create a scenario? Let's just say okay, there's people. two scenarios that I have in mind. One is okay. a guy that has had two lives. One is a family man supporting his wife financially and so on. And separately, either hooked on porn or prostitutes, whatever his sexual escape, numbing escape was. Um, and his wife now knows either she caught him or he's on a healing journey. And then she found out somehow uh, or he decided it's a wise idea to tell her whatever it is. Now she knows for whatever reason. Now he, this guy, uh, he, she, it happens. It doesn't yeah, like not, not specific not, at all. Yeah. It's either way. Then now, they. Right. So to this person, they're on a healing journey. They understand the addiction in a very different way than she will. She'll feel cheated on, you know, not like, so what can you tell her? Like, what does she need to know about 
a person addicted to anything really but that shock of first finding out specifically if the spouse doesn't have that struggle at all okay they're so not I addicted they're not hooked on anything they do everything right you know what i mean so the first thing is i think this is something that i was touching on before there is that fear coming clean so to speak to a spouse i think to me it's more important to focus on relationships that are direct relationships because at the end of the day the people that suffer the most are the family of the addicts the children the wives the parents those are the people that actually are directly impacted now of course there are people that were directly impacted by the persons doing specific things during active addiction that someone would make an amends for but if a friend is asking like i can't believe what do you mean we were at we were at yeah i'm specifically thinking of close relationships that so that's the, that the person important. that's healing is really in a place of growth but as soon as this other part of their life is like a parent or a spouse is finding out they have a very different relationship to the addiction and i think that there's value if you can share what the spouse should know about where their partner is okay so the first important the most important thing is and i've said this to many of my sponsors when you're making an amends first of all i've specifically told a sponsor that you should not go and make an amends to your wife if your wife is none the wiser do not say anything to her i don't know why you have a burning desire right it's a selfish to tell theme. your wife i said to this one sponsor i was like do you realize that by you telling your wife like you want her to know that you got into the program in your recovery and you're doing this work if she doesn't know anything first of all if she's living with you she probably knows something but if she doesn't know anything do you want to put her in a place of pain like what are you what do you think you're going to accomplish by telling her everything like this guy was saying right. to me i need to tell my wife everything I right it, it, it's a selfish wife. need it's in very many occasions so it's interesting because sometimes is it selfish or sometimes is it ownership sometimes is it wanting to be honest with the person that i've lived with for nine right. years right so like you not- said a good sponsor a good mentor will help a, a, one person navigate how to apply ownership and what kind of ownership in and this well, world how is to needed make an amends. how to make What's an amend the right and, way to show right. up sometimes yeah, 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 making yeah. an amends means showing up different yeah yeah just becoming sometimes an yeah. Amends can work, be yeah. like that's why there, there are actual there's there's amends that we can make in the form right. of service right like if so I on the other up, side of things i want to i want to i want to go back to that on the other side of things what is it that someone who isn't struggling from addiction or from these things someone who isn't either struggling from the addiction or part of the healing journey what is it that they don't know about their spouse and would be helpful if they start having compassion too, rather than feeling. So that's a huge discussion. I think it's really hard when somebody all of a sudden discovers the first thing that someone needs to know is that there's support for those people. Mm. So a spouse that finds out that their spouse, for example, is a sex addict mm. and they didn't know about it. They go straight. Some, some go and seek help. Some go into panic mode. Right. So, very important for people to know that there's anon programs Essanon, alanon there are programs that are directly there to support the family member of the user of the addict mm. the purpose of that is because what ends up happening is in first of all in the panic itself it brings up a lot of trauma 
A lot of people that live with addicts don't realize that they've experienced significant trauma on their own, which is possibly why they never saw the addiction till now, or so they've, or they've allowed themselves to not see it. A lot of people who have, yeah, because they're protecting themselves for years from whatever they've experienced in their life, that they don't allow themselves to believe that anything's wrong with the person that they live with. Mm. Everything's perfect and rosy. It's very interesting to me. Like I've seen so many wives or husbands of addicts being so utterly shocked that that's like their reality. Like I've been living with an addict for 12 years. Right. Are you kidding me? I'm, I once sat down with a spouse of an addict and they're like, how did he hide that from me for 12 years? And I said, how did you let yourself not acknowledge what was going on for 12 years? Mm. And they said, what do you mean? That's not the person who I married. I said, but if I'm to tell you that that is the person that you married, who's at fault? Because she was trying to put like this, like there was like, you know, we were dial we were, we were having a dialogue and she was heated. And maybe my approach wasn't right, but I was just trying to like put things into perspective. And I remember there was like this, um, there was this time she had said, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't allow myself to believe it. Mm. And I said, where else in your life is that a running theme? Where else in your life can you say that I bought something or I reacted to something or I allowed something to happen because I chose not to see the problem with it or I chose not to allow myself to see, you know, to be a victim of that sort of so very often what happens is women become aware of the fact or men become aware of the fact that they're living with an addict and it for them becomes an extremely painful experience because all of a sudden they start this feeling of he betrayed me right that betrayal how can someone do that to me right that in my personal opinion people who experience it worse people who have been betrayed before right either by a teacher by a parent by a relative a bubby a zadie a grandma grandpa uncle aunt they've experienced betrayal before they've experienced pain before and they've suppressed it and they've pushed it away and they never dealt with it they never healed from it so all of a sudden recognizing that they're living with someone who's betraying them it's an old wound that's just coming to the surface and that adds so much i think so Chaos. many people that are in al-anon and Essanon and all these they actually need to heal from their own trauma too and a lot of them do end up like i right. met somebody who was an Essanon who discovered that they themselves were actually a sex addict oh without knowing so that they were an Essanon because they were a spouse of somebody who was using sex as an addiction but they themselves didn't realize that they themselves were using the exact same addiction as their spouse. And they ended up coming to the essay rooms and they all of a sudden started identifying with their husband and everybody else in the room. Right. Because they were also escaping from whatever childhood experience or trauma. And you know, that was very, that's very common that somebody will all of a sudden recognize like, Hey, I've been also escaping from and something. It, it takes, it's very, yeah. Since, so I think they, if, since they feel they were violated and hurt, it's like also to expect of them to realize their own 
patterns which contributed in a direct or indirect way to the to the, to the cycle is very harsh when they're like in this phase of like oh my god oh my god i can't believe it. i can't believe it. i can't believe it. i'm betrayed i'm betrayed how could i how could i and then they and become like, and then they're worried about being enablers like how did i allow myself right. to be involved how right. did i stand for this how did i let it go so far yeah, trust is, is it a, my fault yeah. a lot of a lot of people spouses of addicts will very often ask themselves like big problem i what did i do to allow this to happen how did I allow this to happen? They start taking almost like ownership over their spouse's addiction. I allowed it to happen. Like I let it get this far. How was I so blind to it? And they start blaming themselves. So one of the steps in Al-Anon is that I am not, uh, I don't want to, I'm, I'm just going to say that what I'm about to say now is not the correct necessarily the words, right. but the idea is that I was not in control of the addict. There's like the three C's in Al-Anon. Um, it can't change the addict. It can't cure the addict. I don't remember exactly what the correct thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to quite a few Al-Anon meetings too. Yeah. And the idea is that don't all of a sudden go into this like, how did I let it happen? Right. So you asked me a question. I think I didn't answer it yet. So there's two parts of this question. You're giving a lot of context to what happens in a, in, a, in a relationship when someone is on the journey of recovery and you're getting to the, <laughs> you're getting to it. Right. So one is like all kinds of turmoils, inner control, like right, what did the, I do? I think it's very important, Mati, because you asked a very important question. Like, how do I make amends to a spouse? Or, and then I asked you a very simple question. Are they asking or are you telling treat this amends or treat the not you but whoever myself yourself whoever is owning up to what they did treat it with a lot of safety and respect because it shouldn't be about guilt shifting it shouldn't be about right. dumping to, e to either one yeah i mean the, any part of this and when a wife wants to know or a husband wants to know like the nature of what they did i say to the person who's saying you don't have to if you see that what you're saying is jeopardizing your relationship say i am willing to talk about it and i want to apologize maybe we should get help so that i could do this in the right environment right. don't jump into the amends right. don't jump into the history of what you've done and right. you're going to have a and in some relationships, there's going to be a spouse that's going to be like, tell me everything. I want to know everything right now. Okay. Don't walk away. Don't run away. Don't not share everything. But that's an opportunity for A, the addict to be empathetic. They hurt someone. The person that they love is in pain. So it's a real opportunity to be like, I hear your pain. That's not going to make them feel good. You say, I hear your pain. It's not going to make the person who's asking for answers feel good. Because now there's that child in them that's protecting themselves. There's that guard dog in them that wants the closure. They want to know answers. They want to understand, how can you do this to me? There's a lot of pain for that other person. Mm -hmm. I would say, don't expect, for, for, the, for the spouse of the addict, don't expect that person to all of a sudden drop their guts. And if they do, be prepared to be blown away. Right. I think what, what, what's I mean, really helpful to know that so much of it is not about them. It's so much about old wounds. 
Yeah, but that's so that's another thing. And they'll like I know in the I, I can imagine that that in the you know beginning process it doesn't it's hard to make these distinctions, but it's um, it's the truth because it so isn't. You, so let's so let's just revisit this question: What should a person who knows that their spouse all of a sudden they find out that their spouse was unfaithful. What should they know about their spouse? What should somebody know about addiction? Yeah. I think the most important thing is for people to know, first of all, as terrible of the thing they did was, that's not who they are. Mm -hmm. That addict is a beautiful person. Just like every other person's a beautiful person. So is that addict. And they may have done things in active addiction that are horrendous but that's not who they are that's what the addict has made them do or the addiction and recognize that nobody becomes an addict just by self-will just generally like things are coming out now mm. you know like awareness um, addiction robert jacobson has now this whole series about taboo subjects and it's so valuable for people to know that it's I need so to listen not to that i really want i started i yeah. told you i started yeah. listening to it and i had it playing and there's that one part where i think um so i was putting joe to bed and um so i have it playing in my room which is next door to joe's room and discussing things like porn addiction and joe's in the room and he's like what <laughs> and then he turned how it old off. is he Tw uh, eight, seven, seven seven and he like turned it off and i was like why did he turn it off he's like i'm tired of this stuff <laughs> i was like i was listening to it he's like yeah but you're putting me to bed now so, <laughs> That's so cute. i was like oh yeah i am yeah. Well, i guess i'll get back to it which i didn't do I, yeah I kind so of it's really that. really good for for people to know that the person that does that thing does not it doesn't it's not it's not all of them right it's so what do you mean by it's not all of them it's not who everything they are it's like oh, that's something yeah, like that they've that. done which comes directly from pain yeah and survival. I, I, I really i really mean that i don't believe that anybody woke up one morning and decided to be an addict like i've been in rooms with people for years i've been to many meetings i can't count how many meetings i've been to and some days i was at three different meetings i was at an essay aa meeting and na meet like i've been to meetings like i did like a 90 day meeting thing where i had to be at a meeting every day for 90 days and just like you know chas shalom if i would miss one god forbid heaven forbid i missed one so i'd make up for it i would go to like catch a meeting that was 20 minutes later like five blocks away because like you know make up for a meeting that i might have missed like three months ago anyhow so well, thank goodness with davening, it only rolls over to the next day. Well, davening is three times a day too, right? If yeah, imagine it rolls over forever and someone one day decides, I want to make up for my I 10 years of not davening. So how do I make up for all the chakras that I missed? <laughs> I just daven bekavana one time what? and say, God, yeah. please accept my prayers today. But Because um, it's about connection, like in the least of jokes, it's really about the that's connection. That's what recovery is. Uh, the underlying message of the 12 steps program is that when I, when I act out, when I use, I've turned to myself, I've tried to find a way 
to escape from whatever I'm escaping from instead of turning to a higher power and saying I'm powerless. I don't know how to face this pain or this anxiousness mm. or this anxiety or this sadness. And I'm running away from those feelings because ultimately when someone's escaping and they're using, they're running away from an emotion. Right. And they don't know how to yeah. make space for that emotion. Yeah. So they push that emotion away. Yeah. Or they Which is away. What, it's, what I mentioned like earlier in our conversation. It's like, yeah, all the addiction did is survive the emotion, which I thought I can't bear. Like all this escape mm -hmm. is it helps me not what I think is going to kill me if I feel. It's like, right. okay, now I'm surviving it. Right, right, right. So I, like every addict is a survivor and there's so much honor in their survival. And there's so much honor in the, in the courage to heal. It's like, it's like, wow. I think that's a little bit the concept of a Mokham Shabalchuva Aimdim. Like when someone returns, and, and yeah, yeah so because it takes so much to just look at life and say, I'm going to reconnect to my truth and, and then embracing all the feelings that come with that, like reality feelings, like yeah, painful feelings. You, you know, it's interesting. Um, Rabbi Jacobson, I think he shared this at, what did he share this? I mean, he shared this before, but he said that he was Rabbi Yossi Jacobson. Why, why? Mm. I just heard this last week. Um, one of his, um, I don't know if it was on Spotify. I think it was on Spotify, one of his shiurim. And he said that Rabbi Tversky had said to him that in the 60 years that he had worked with addicts, he basically, his, his, his message to Rabbi Jacobson was that for a regular person, they could fill the void with some potato kugel. They could fill the void with, with some... Chalent, they could fill the void before an addict. They can't fill that void with simple mundane things that other regular people can. Because the addict is a much more spiritual person. Mm. And they their deepest the deepest desire for an addict is to be connected with God. The deepest desire is to feel oneness right. and wholeness. And that ultimate validation comes from a healthy relationship with something greater than myself for right. me that's god so rabbi torsky had said that the addicts are the most spiritual of them all right and in reality i know for myself that there are certain parts of myself that you know i can look at somebody who shows up in i do this sometimes i'm i'm also judgmental I have a character defect of being judgmental of others. You and I think many others. I don't know, nobody else is judgmental. I'm the only no. judgmental yeah. person. Like, but I actually am allowed to be judgmental sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it takes to be judgmental. I like to think that it, to drive, I need to be judgmental, right? Yeah, well, yeah, because otherwise, fifty percent of driving is judging other people in front of you and behind you. Yeah, there is right. that. There, we by human nature, God has created us in a way to be yeah. judgmental, yeah. and. um I really believe that. Like, uh, so I just seen there was like this clip going around on YouTube being down the cuffs is because the chatchila, you shouldn't be judging anybody. All right. But if you're already judging someone, you should be down the cuffs. And it's, it's so true. Who am I to judge another person? Right. But by, by human nature, yeah, by, created me yeah. with the, 
we need to judge people. That's yeah. survival. Yeah. Like if I don't judge. It's really about the filters. You know, how can we filter the judgments and only utilize the value and not build a whole life around the judgment. Yeah. But the fact that our brain is wired to judge, it judges if I need a restroom, if I need to, what time it is. It's like, it's our, so it's our judging right either. brain. It's, it's yeah. basic functionality. Okay. So you're saying that you have a, yeah. yeah get my ADHD back on course. What was I saying? <laughs> We're talking about judgment. You said that you have a judgment side. That you're you're very judgy. Or you have a judgment yeah, side. Yeah, but why did I say I that? No what was idea. it? Oh, because I was talking about from a spiritual perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, like, I've seen people who look like observant Jews. And they look like they're living regular lives. And they are showing up. And they come to shul. And they daven. And they learn. And they're either whatever background of Judaism Orthodox they're from. And there are times that I would listen to them sharing something and I feel like they're just not getting it. And it's interesting because when I look back at my upbringing, right, I went to, I grew up Chabad and I'm slowly re-identifying as a Chabad. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't say this because I, I don't know yet where I'm holding. I mean, I'm in the, in, in my journey today, I'm allowing myself to re-embrace my Chabad roots is what mm. I should say. But I had seen several times that the people who seem to be very, in some backgrounds called stark, in some backgrounds chassidish, <laughs> in some backgrounds fachanyak, whatever that, <laughs> <is> that <laughs> means, chanyak, <laughs> and some backgrounds like, hardcore, and some backgrounds they're like stark. Yeah. So basically, these people just don't get so many things. Like I heard them share something, or from a specific story that they shared like i heard a whole different message i saw a whole different approach to how my relationship with god can look from that perspective and they didn't hear it at all they didn't even share that they didn't even touch on that idea and i recognize within myself that there is a much more spiritual understanding there is a desire for more spirituality in my life more so than doing religious practice i right. have a desire to connect with god that it doesn't look like learning dafyomi right my spiritual desire to be with god is almost to have like this intimate relationship with god that i can't have with anything else in this world right because it's, the world is imperfect so finding a place of like wholeness that can just embrace all of the imperfection is the deep yearning for the vacas and yeah and yeah. a lot of people because they're but some people can do yeah. that by doing daf yaimi. I can't. Right. I do not feel yeah. connected yeah, with yeah, God. Yeah. So that's what you were saying there, that um, Rabbi Tversky said. And that's what said. is saying. That's like I can saying. really yeah. identify with it because what I see regular, ordinary people doing and feeling whole and feeling like they're contributing. To know yeah, that there's another side. That, recognize that it's the pain, that pot. What it, and, and there's so much more. And maybe the person that they've always seen is actually the true the true you know that's actually the truth of this other person yeah i also i want to encourage people not to run away from an addict mm. don't run away from your spouse because you found out that they got a terrible addiction get help for yourself because you may be living with the most incredible human being mm. i have found that some of the most amazing people in my life that i have met were in the rooms or in the 12-step rooms. And I genuinely believe this. There is, honestly, the sense of unity and 
community that I have found in 12 step rooms, the camaraderie. Like, you know, there's like this big me Yisrael, like Jews always say, me Yisrael. The wholeness and the closeness that I have felt to God was in a 12-step meeting in right. a church. It's, it's the beauty of what happens when there is people being vulnerable. Vulnerability breeds humanism. I think when we allow our guard down, if I let my guard down with another human being, what can be accomplished Yes, so much more than any teaching. Than any, and I'm so with you on that. And I'm so honored that you, your conversation was so personal. And it's very touching because our conversation could have been about, it could have been not about us. It could have been about 12 step. So let's about have healing. that conversation so you could put something <laughs> on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like, so I really honor like ca- camera or not. I honor the, whenever I'm in a space where people, where I get to share parts of myself and it's really heard from the inside out not from the outside mm. and it's like i so value that and so much growth happens from that experience yeah and um, you know years ago i drove some i used to drive people so i drove someone and he came back from vegas and he's modern orthodox and he they had some meeting in some kind of a club at the company that he worked for i'm not sure if it was a, I don't know exactly what it was, mm-hmm. but it was a place where he thought that a Hasidish person shouldn't be. And his company had some kind of a evening event there. And he's like, I can't understand how a guy with a pace and a beard, how could he be in a place like this? So I told him, the guy with a pace and the beard, when he looks out of the world, he sees the same world as you see. He doesn't see a beard and pace. <laughs> Unless his pace are in front of his eyes. Okay. All right. But all he sees, he's a human and when I look him in the eyes or her in the eyes, all I see is the human. Right? I don't see any of the chatanias, any of that. So, and same goes, you know. So it's really, really, really valuable to when people, like when I get real and when I ha- when I share in relationships with people that are so real, and I see nothing other than the deepest parts in them, and I feel seen in my deepest parts. There's so much opportunity to grow. There's so much opportunity to heal. There's so much opportunity to make the world just better. Like one conversation at a time, one friendship at a time, one meeting at a time, one therapy session at a time. And and the, I think that the, the common denominator between all these different modalities is the is the vulnerability and the safety in being honest. So, but I really uh, just what you had just said though about seeing another person for another person that's super super important is that see the addict as the human they are. Mm-hmm. And just to touch back on what we were talking about before, recognize that the same way that you were just able to say that when you look at another person and you see the human part of them, it's sometimes very hard for somebody a spouse of an addict yeah. to be able to look at their spouse and see the human. Yeah. But behind that addiction, behind that wounded animal, I refer to myself very often as a wounded dog. Nefesh behemis. Yeah, but I but like I, I, I very often like I've said to myself, don't provoke a wounded dog. Like I'm a wounded animal. Don't don't think that if you're gonna throw a stick at me, I'm not gonna bite you. I will. Because you, uh, as you could see right now, I'm coming to you from a place where I'm, I'm hurt and I'm hurting and I can't work out what's going on. Don't continue provoking me. And I've had to say that for myself. Sometimes it's okay to say things like that because 
It works. <laughs> no, but sometimes someone needs it to puts hear things it. in perspective. Yes, yeah, it's like I have a wounded side, and I get into my thing when so and so happens. Which is which is why what you said earlier is like a couple to instead of running away from this to work through it, it, it works. Yeah, it works. Like get, which language to use, what, how to dialogue, how to not trigger each other. There are but things get that help. work. Also, I say yeah. this to the person, to the addict, or the spouse. Get help. You want to know everything. You're entitled to it. I feel like people, it's very important to recognize a spouse is entitled to knowing what their husband did whilst they're married or their wife did whilst they're married during their marriage. Before that, not necessarily. Like if they didn't share that, if they didn't want to know before they got married what they were doing, like, okay, you don't need to know everything. If you... It's a very personal thing, the details. Yeah, I think the real person, the real conversation is like don't run away. There's so much beauty under all this garbage and with help and and good communication and good resources there is there's a there's a gem of a relationship. The compulsion can also be directed to 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 positive. Like that's what I, I, I really But if someone's find. running away, run away to get help. Yeah. Don't run away, period. Right. Run away to get help to say I just I need help. I just, a bomb, I just, a bomb just hit me. Right. And I'm going to fall to pieces right now because the person that I lived with for 15 years has been unfaithful for most of those years. And I don't know if I can deal with that. I don't know how to deal with that. Recognize that if I'm talking now to the spouse of an addict or to the parent of an addict, Recognize that if till today you did not know that that person was using or taking advantage of or being unfaithful, don't write it off for your own sake. You need help. Get the help that you need. To feel okay. Yeah. And if you're not ready to look at that person when you find that out, that's okay. If they're in therapy or they're in healing or they're in recovery, they're going to have to deal with that. But for your own sake, don't run away from it. Don't just disown the whole thing. Get the help that you need because. And I think recognize the amount of pain that it causes somebody when they find this out. Recognize that maybe there's something that it's bringing up for you. I'm not saying it because. I'm telling you what to do. I'm saying you deserve yeah. the help. Don't yeah, and write it's worth a shot. Off. It's so totally worth a shot. Yeah. And so there, there is. Are you familiar with the work of Esther Perel? Phenomenal. And Esther Perel has a Audible um, series. It's like a TV show, just only in audio. Mm-hmm. So it's fully edited with background music and 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 like it pauses and she says things and it's all couple sessions. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is couples that have been cheating and how they get together and how their journey towards. And and in like each episode, it's only like 30, 40 minutes an episode. Mm -hmm. And she uncovers, obviously, it's snippets from a bunch of sessions that she puts together. Mm -hmm. And it's very, it really, really brings out how enabling and how each one contributes to the, to the dynamic. Because, because it doesn't, you know, like... It really, really puts light on it. And very, she said in one of the episodes that people that, that, that didn't work out, she's like, she always likes and how, you know, when the couple actually work out and grow from the experience. And in so many cases that happens in so many situations, if they're willing to look at all of it, like all of it with time, 
in a rebuild trust, which is a process. A trust is not, oh, now I understand them, so I trust them. I can understand someone and not necessarily trust them, and that's fine. And then I can build trust again. And in so many occasions that happens, and they get back, they finally get the relationship they've always wanted and deserve to have. So mm. it's it's good it's good to know that it's a very cool episode. It's very cool to listen. Some of these episodes are extreme, but some of them it's like it's literally happening. Like in, she manages to share this what you're saying in a 40 minute episode. How it actually happens, how they both how it starts with a resentment and anger, and then they're really cool. And, and yes, it's like I think it's valuable what you said. I think it's I heard, really uh, valuable. You use the word resentment. I heard something really cool in program. I think one of my sponsors told me the word resentment is, I think, from French, from resentment, which means to remember. Mm. And a resentment is usually something that actually my body has a gut reaction to an experience that I had once had. And this triggers that. And it's almost like a physical trauma response to something that happened, which felt not good. Wow. That's really cool. So it was interesting for me. Resentment yeah. is actually remembering. Right. It's bringing up an old. Right. Yeah. Thank you. This was awesome. <laughs> I really, I like the way you take your time to make your point. And by the time you're, you made your point, it's clear in a deep, deep, holistic way, understanding all angles of a conversation. Really cool. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. <laughs>